Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Please enjoy our Bible 101 series as we explore Genesis through Revelation. Also, listen to our roundtable discussions as myself, Greg Ross, and Eric Feeman talk about the major theological discussions of the Bible. Also, enjoy some of our interviews and apostolic apologetic series. We thank you so much for listening. Please let us know what you think by emailing BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E-29 at gmail.com. And also leave a comment to let us know what you think. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Bible 101. This will be lesson number 25 of our Through the Bible series. Before we start, let's begin with a word of prayer. Precious Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to study the Word of God. Speak to us today. Help us, Lord. Lead and guide me and anoint the ears of every hearer that they may hear the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, before we begin the New Testament, we're going to do a little bit of brief review of the prophecies concerning the Messiah in the Old Testament. In Genesis 3.15, it was revealed to us it would be of the seed of the woman. We talked about the fact in the last lesson that the seed of the woman uh, would be unusual because usually a child is born by the seed of the man in the womb of the woman. However, this is called the seed of the woman. And then it's revealed in Genesis chapter number 12, it's going to be of the seed of Abraham. Then in 2 Samuel, it's revealed that it's going to be of the seed of David. Uh, and then it is revealed that it will be of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. Uh, this will not just be an ordinary child, but will be called the mighty God, Isaiah 9 and 6. Uh, and then it's also revealed that somebody would go ahead of this uh, Messiah to prepare the way for him. And we read that in the book of Malachi chapter number 3, and it's also mentioned in the book of Isaiah. Uh, and so this is the scene painted for us of what the Messiah is going to be like, where he's going to come from. And uh, we're told also many other things. Uh, we're told he's going to teach in parables. You can read that in the Old Testament. Also, it's prophesied that he would be born uh, in Bethlehem. That's uh, in the book of Micah. You can read that. And uh, there's many other things prophesied. It's prophesied he'll teach in parables. Uh, also, one of the most powerful prophecies is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 61. And let's read that here. Let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 61. Isaiah 61, verse number 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Notice the target audience here. To preach good tidings unto the meek, the lowly. In other words, he hath sent me to bind up the broken hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. So there's several things to notice here. His target audience is not going to be the rich, it's not going to be the well-to-do, it's not going to be the, the highfalutin of society, but it's going to be the meek, it's going to be the brokenhearted, it's going to be the captives, uh, it's going to be opening the prison to them that are bound. And 
so it's very, very important that we understand this because when Jesus came, this is the scripture he read in the synagogue at the opening up of his ministry. And so uh, several other things are also revealed about uh, him. He would be called the Son of Man. You can read this in the book of Daniel, chapter number 7. Uh, let's go to the book of Daniel, chapter number 7. Uh, and uh, let's uh, go ahead and read Daniel chapter number 7 and verse number 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not uh, pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So once again, we see here that he would be called the Son of Man, and that uh, his reign would be forever, and that uh, people of every nation, tribe, tongue, language would serve him. So all of these things are very important. Um, and then uh, you can read several other prophecies about him. In the book of Zechariah, it's revealed that uh, he would be sold uh, for 30 pieces of silver. And then it's also revealed in the book of Zechariah that he would come meek and lowly riding on a donkey. Uh, so there's these prophecies. And then also in the book of Isaiah chapter number 53. Let's go over to the book of Isaiah chapter number 53. And we're going to read this prophecy as well. Isaiah chapter number 53 and verse number 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we, see us, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Now, uh, to a Jew that was listening to this recording, he would basically reply, Boy, you're being very selective in the prophecies you're reading. You're ignoring many of the other prophecies. And that would be true. I'm focusing on these in particular because these are the scriptures that Jesus Christ would fulfill. But, the Jews did not recognize him. Now you might say, well, why? If it's so clear in the Old Testament that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and that he fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies, why is it that the Jews did not recognize him? Well, because there's two types of fulfillment, if I could put it this way, um, that the Messiah would fulfill. And one... Uh, Jesus fulfilled with his first coming, but he will fulfill many of them with his second coming. And you see, these prophecies talk about restoring the kingdom to Israel, talk about uh, the trampling down of the Gentile nations, talking about uh, him coming with a garment, uh, uh, a vesture dipped in blood, and, and talk about him conquering the nations and all nations bowing before him. Uh, and so 
the Jews were expecting the Messiah to be this figure that was going to come back and restore the kingdom to Israel and trample down the Gentile nations. And so that's what they have in mind. And so they expect this, uh, this Messiah to come along and deliver them from the hand of Roman rule to totally destroy all Gentile nations and to set up Israel as the new, as the kingdom, uh, because all of this had been prophesied. And that is true. It had all been prophesied. But what they missed was the prophecies like what I've just read, that he would come meek and lowly, riding on a donkey, that he would be despised and rejected, that he would have no form nor comeliness, uh, that he would come lowly as a baby, that he would come as the seed of the woman, that he would uh, come as a, as a chun, son of Abraham and as a son of David. Um, they believed some of these things, but they did not understand uh, that he would come so meek and so lowly. They'd ex- they expected him to come from heaven uh, with, a, uh, with, with, with angels surrounding him and him to come down from his heavenly ladder and uh, you know, maybe angels ascending and descending on him and him blowing the trumpet saying, I'm here, your Messiah's here, Israel. But that's not the way he came. He came meek and lowly first, and he was rejected of man. But one day, he's going to come back, uh, and in his second coming, uh, all of these other prophecies are going to be fulfilled. That's the reason why the Jews missed him. However, you can imagine the unrest, the religious unrest, that was in that period of time, because Roman rule... Uh, was in place here. Rome ruled with an iron fist. I mentioned that in the, the last lesson. I also mentioned the fact that Herod was a corrupt ruler. Uh, he was actually an Edomite, and uh, he was not a legitimate ruler of the Jews, so he was hated because of this. However, the people that liked him were the ones he put in power. The Sadducees and uh, also some Pharisees were in the religious government of that time, and he also built uh, some expansions to the house of the Lord, to the temple, and uh, he did all of these things, and so they're still going through their rituals and doing all of their uh, their sacrifices and everything else. But now there is so much religious corruption that it's almost as if the common folk is not really interested in religion. Uh, they still, though, have an expectation of the Jewish Messiah coming back and restoring rightful rule to Israel and cleaning up all of this filthy corruption. And Jesus is going to have uh, several enemies. Among them, he's going to have the scribes, the Pharisees, and Sadducees. Herod is going to hate his guts. Um, so he's, he's not going to be liked by the religious leaders and by uh, the rulers of that time and by Herod. But who is going to be drawn to Jesus is the poor. It's the lowly. It's the meek. It's the humble. It's the captive. It's the prisoner. Uh, it's the, the, the person on the street begging uh, because they're blind or they're lame. These are the people that's going to be drawn to Jesus. And also the Old Testament prophesies about the fact that he's going to teach in parables, uh, utter dark sayings of old. Uh, It also prophesies about the fact that he's going to open the eyes of the blind, uh, that he caused the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the poor to have the gospel preached unto them. So again, we see all of these things are miraculous. And I find that interesting that it says, you know, he's going to open the blinded eyes, cause the lame to walk, cause the dumb uh, to, to speak, the deaf to hear. But then in the middle of all that, it says for the poor to have the gospel preached unto them. And I think that's very powerful because that is a great miracle. Uh, again, going back to the religious oppression of the
the common folk and how that they were judged by the Pharisees and by the Sadducees and the religious leaders of those days. And they did not feel as if they had an ear um, in in anything religious, in any kind of religion. And because of that, they would be drawn to Jesus. And so it's just as much a miracle that the poor would have the gospel preached unto them. Okay, so I have established, just to kind of give you a little bit of review of the intertestamental period, uh, it went through basically the, the main kingdoms of the world, kind of past hands. We had uh, the Assyrians, and then we had Babylon, and then from Babylon we had uh, the Medes and Persians conquered them, the Greeks conquered them, through Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, when he died, he split the kingdom in among his generals, which are four. From these come the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, the two main ones we need to focus on. Uh, and, and from uh, that line, th- those are basically the, the rulership of the Jews would kind of pass hands between those two, the, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. And then finally, we have a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who rises up against the Jews and oppresses them greatly and kills many of them. By the way, he's prophesied in the book of Daniel. And then uh, it, it says that uh, he came in to the temple and he offered pig's blood upon the altar. He desecrated it. It was known as the abomination that maketh desolate. Now, I made a point last time and I didn't really finish my thought, but let me finish it today. I mentioned the fact that prophecies can have multiple fulfillments. For instance, the abomination that maketh desolate was fulfilled with Antiochus Epiphanes IV in this intertestamental period. However, it was uh, also a future fulfillment because Jesus, when he came on the scene, he talked about the abomination that make it desolate as a future event. And that was fulfilled when Titus, the Roman general, came in and Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. And uh, he also desecrated the temple by Gentiles going into it and they destroyed it to where literally not one stone was left upon another. And then uh, in the book of, I believe it is 2 Thessalonians, yes it is, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, Paul talks about yet another fulfillment that's going to come from the abomination that make it desolate. So prophecies can have multiple fulfillments. Just because something was fulfilled once, don't think it won't be fulfilled again. And let me give you another example. If you go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 37, we discussed that the last time, the prophecy of the valley of dry bones. The Lord prophesied of a day that Israel would be regathered together. Now, uh, you can look at it and say, well, yeah, they came back and they rebuilt the temple uh, when the, the Persians allowed them to return. And that is true. However, uh, there was still uh, what's known as the uh, diaspora. They were still dispersed to other nations. They were not all completely back together again. But can I tell you that this was fulfilled after World War II because Israel regathered together as a nation after so many years. Um, and they gathered together and declared it a nation once again. So that prophecy was fulfilled much, much later in history. And uh, I wonder how many people totally forgot about that prophecy until they saw its fulfillment. And uh, I don't have the date in front of me, but I believe it was 1943, uh, if I remember correctly, that once again Israel was declared a nation. And so uh, there's so many beautiful prophecies in the Old Testament that I could talk about. But Daniel predicted all of the nations that would rise up. And so ultimately after the Medes and Persians was the Greeks. And then once the Greeks were conquered by Rome, uh, Rome would rule with an iron fist. And uh, it was very, very oppressive government. Herod was friends with Caesar, and so he would come in and he would rule the Jews, and he would expand their temple, uh, but he was highly uh, corrupt, and he was uh, a leader that, um, that ruled in a corrupt manner. He was a very, 
very violent man. At one point, he had his own wife killed. He had his sons killed uh, because he considered them a threat to his kingdom. Uh, Herod was a man at one point, we're going to read about here in a little bit, that uh, at one point, because he was searching for Jesus, he had every male child in Bethlehem, I believe it was under two years old, killed. And we'll read that here in just a moment. But uh, in, in this light, the New Testament is... Uh, the, the story of the unfolding of the New Testament uh, comes into play. Jesus' birth and uh, John the Baptist coming and preaching on the scene before Jesus walks on the scene. And so you can imagine how the expectations of the Jewish Messiah were so incredibly high. But because Jesus didn't come the way they thought he should come, you know, uh, with, with kingly garments and, and coming in and overthrowing the Gentile nations, because he came lowly and meek and humble and he came to the weak and the oppressed, they did not accept him. They did not recognize his coming. And so uh, we have uh, in the New Testament, Matthew chapter number 1. And let's go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter number 1. Now, while you're turning there, let me give you a brief overview of the New Testament itself. So the New Testament, remember the Old Testament was set up in basically five categories. Uh, the law, uh, then you had uh, the books of history, then you had the books of poetry, then you had the major prophets and minor prophets. But here in the New Testament, uh, we're going to have basically these divisions. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. Uh, they, they record the life, uh, the birth, the, 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 the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts records the beginning of the church. It's a book of history. So we have the Gospels and the book of history. Then we have what's called the epistles. Uh, really, those could be split into several categories. You could have the Pauline epistles and the general epistles, but we're just going to say the epistles. And the epistles were not uh, the wife of the apostles, as some might assume, but uh, actually the epistles are just are letters written to churches. And so uh, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, uh, Titus, Philemon, uh, the Hebrews, James, 1 2 Peter, 1 2 3 John, Jude, these are all epistles. And then we have the, uh, the, the, the book of prophecy, which is the book of Revelation. So once again, the Gospels, that's the first four books. The book of history, that's one book. The epistles, that covers all the way from Romans to Jude. And then the book of prophecy, uh, or the apocryphal book, not apocryphal, excuse me, the, uh, uh, the apocalyptic, excuse me, <laughs> the apocalyptic literature of uh, Revelation. And by literature, I don't mean it's not divinely inspired. I'm just saying uh, to call it apocalyptic just simply means that uh, it, uh, it is a revealing of secret things. It is prophetic in nature. And there's a lot we're going to get into in a future lesson about that. So let's begin with the book of Matthew, chapter number 1. And I'm going to read uh, verse number 1. Let me mention one more thing before I do that. Uh, an easy way to remember the authors of the New Testament is simply to remember it like this. Uh, you have a car, okay? So just picture a car in your mind. All right? Peter has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So Peter's the driver. Peter's in the front seat. He's driving. Paul is also in the front seat. And in the back seat, we have James and Jude. And then we have the four wheels, which are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So those are the writers of the New Testament. Once again, Peter's driving. He's got the keys. Paul's 
uh, beside of him. He's also in the front seat. And then we've got in the back seat, James and Jude. And then we've got as the four wheels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there's your writers of the New Testament. That's just kind of a neat little way to remember it. All right. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1 says this. And I want to kind of draw your attention to the way Matthew opens. Matthew is written uh, to a particular audience. He's focusing on the Jews. Now remember, I've already established the fact that the Messiah is going to come by a virgin. He's going to come meek and lowly. He's going to come by, number one, a virgin. Number two, I've established the fact he's going to come of the seed of Abraham. Number three, I've established the fact he's going to come of the seed of David. Okay, so those three factors I want you to keep in mind. Now, Matthew is written to the Jews, so Matthew's going to focus on a lot of uh, of, of Jewish uh, things. For instance, prophecies. He's going to often quote the Old Testament. And he's going to look at Jesus as uh, a priest. He's going to look at him as a king. He's going to look at him as the Messiah. So Matthew mentions the phrase kingdom of heaven many, many, many times. Why? Because he's focusing on Jesus as the king. Remember, uh, David's seed would be set up as king forever. Well, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this. And that's why Matthew is going to focus on uh, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. He's going to focus on Jesus as the new king. But he has many focuses. He's also going to focus on Jesus as priest. And we're going to see this over and over again. But then he's also going to focus on Jesus as the new Moses, uh, as better than Moses and establishing a new law or fulfilling the law. And uh, we're going to see this. So I'm going to try to focus on some of these things specifically. Now, we're not going to be able to go in depth into the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because it's inexhaustible and we would literally be going through the New Testament for the rest of my life, and that would be impossible. So let me just begin and kind of do a brief overview of each of the Gospels to give you a picture of why there's four specific Gospels. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1. Now remember, I know I've been repeating this uh if an item, but but let's just let's just uh, just to kind of lodge it in your brain. He's going to be of the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, born of a virgin. Chapter one, verse one. Watch this: the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Watch this: the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the two things that Matthew establishes first before he gets into anything else is, I want to tell you who he's the son of. He's the son of David, and he's the son of Abraham. So he comes from the lineage he's supposed to come from. Then he says this, Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judas and his brethren. Judas begot Pharaoh and Zerah of Tamar, and Pharaoh begot Isram, and Isram begot Aram, and Aram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nason, and Nason begot Solomon, and Solomon begot Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Now, let me stop here. Uh, Several things I want you to notice in this uh, little portion of Scripture is the fact this is not an exhaustive genealogy. He's focusing on specific characters in the genealogy. Okay, So that's important for you to remember. It's not exhaustive, but he's focusing on specific characters. Um, And now there's a lot of things I could say about all this. But notice something he says here. Uh, So he says, Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. That's verse number 5. So here we already have something unusual. 
Okay, uh, if you back up and look at verse number three, Judas begat Pharaoh's and Zerah of Tamar. So we have a woman in the genealogy. That's unusual. Usually women were not included in the genealogies. Number two, we've got Ruth included. So not only do we have a woman included in the genealogy in verse number three, we've got a woman included in verse number five. And what's interesting about these are uh, they were not pure-blood Jews. Uh, Ruth was a Moabitess, and uh, Tamar was, uh, was a woman that was also not a Jew. So we already have two Gentiles in the genealogy, and we've got two women. So that makes it unique. Then verse 6, And Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Now, while Bathsheba is not named, she's mentioned in passing. So we've got the third uh, woman here. Uh, in this genealogy, and also look at the character of them. Ruth was a Moabite. Uh, obviously, the Moabites were looked down on. Tamar uh, got uh, basically got pregnant by her own uh, father-in-law. And then you've got here uh, uh, Bathsheba, and obviously uh, Solomon was conceived uh, through Bathsheba, but uh, David committed adultery with Bathsheba, just to remind you of a, a couple of lessons ago. And then it says this, And Solomon begot uh, Reboam, and Reboam begot Abiah, and Abiah begot Asa, and Asa begot Josaphat, and Josaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Ozias, and Ozias begot Jotham, and Jotham begot Achaz, and Achaz begot Ezekias, and Ezekias begot Manassas, and Manassas begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josias. All right, here's something else unusual. Look at some of the people in this line. Manasseh, oh, goodness, and Ammon. I mean, th these were not good men, but they're included in the genealogy. And then, watch this, and Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought uh, to Babylon, Jeconias begat Sealtiel, and Sealtiel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abiad, and Abiad begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadok. And Zadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliad, and Eliad begat Eliezer, and Eliezer begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are fourteen generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon into Christ are fourteen generations. Why did he say fourteen? Well, some scholars believe because seven is the perfect number, and perhaps that's the reason why. Obviously, seven and seven is fourteen. Okay, uh, and then we have verse eighteen. Now, remember, he's already established the fact that Jesus was the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, what we would expect is for him to be born of a virgin. All right, so if you can imagine kind of a checklist to the Jew that's reading this. All right, if you're saying that Jesus is the Christ, he's got to be uh, the son of Abraham. He's got to be the son of David. He's got to be born of a virgin. So it's kind of like you're just kind of putting checks there, you know, checking the list off. Check, you know, son of Abraham. Check, son of David. Now we're going to have son of a virgin. Check. Watch verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Now basically they had several options. If he found out... Uh, now, when, let me explain this first. When they were espoused does not mean that they were married in the common sense of the word. Uh, but it also doesn't necessarily mean they were just engaged. It was actually more binding than just engagement. And so if you uh, slept around while you were a spouse to somebody, that's considered adultery, punishable by death. And so what Joseph could have done is he could have had Mary stoned. He didn't do that. Uh, he also had other options. And one of those was he could break it off 
privately with just a couple of witnesses, two or three witnesses. That's what he decided to do. But notice, he did not act rashly. And not willing to make her a public example, it was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, let me stop here to say, if Joseph had not taken time to stop and think, I wonder how different this whole story would have been. Can I just tell you, uh, don't get involved in making rash decisions. All right, let's move on. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Okay, let's stop again. <laughs> There's a lot of things I could bring up here, and I'm going to have to force myself not to say too much, uh, because I, I remember a while back I was teaching at a prison, and I taught... Uh, on the book of Matthew, and the more and more I taught, the more and more it just kept unfolding to me. So there's so many things, beautiful things in the book of Matthew, so I'm going to have to skip over a lot to focus on the pertinent points. But in this case, I find it interesting that the father, or the earthly father of Jesus, obviously not his natural father, but his earthly father was named Joseph. Does that ring a bell? Joseph, uh, going back to the book of Genesis, was the one responsible for saving his brethren and bringing them to Egypt and feeding them while they were in Egypt. And so, uh, but remember, God dealt with him in what? In dreams. Well, look, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, is also dealt with in dreams. Interesting. Okay, then it says this, Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Okay, once again, I return to the fact that it would have to be born of the seed of the woman. So it couldn't be a natural birth. And here it says, uh, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God caused a miraculous conception without the seed of a man. So powerful. And then it says this, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus. Yeshua. Uh, in other words, it means Jehovah's salvation. For he shall save his people from their sins. All right. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, remember Isaiah 7, 14? Watch, he's about to quote it. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. All right, something I, I do kind of want to point out, and, and really, um, I don't want to get too in-depth in this, but Jews would argue and they would say, well, virgin here in Isaiah 7, 14 should be translated young woman, actually, because that's what it means. Uh, and they said if he was wanting to portray the fact that she was a virgin, he should have used a different Hebrew word uh, talking about Isaiah. However, I do find it interesting that the Septuagint, which I've already mentioned the fact, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, also used the word for virgin. Uh, and uh, also, you know, that word can mean virgin. So there's no problem with it. And he points out here, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Then he goes on to explain what that means, which being interpreted is God with us. Remember another prophecy I mentioned. So he's got to be of the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, the seed of the woman, uh, born of a virgin. But then he's got to be more than just a normal child. He's got to be called the mighty God. Well, here we are. He's called God with us. Us. Then verse 24, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name 
Jesus. So notice the way that Matthew opens here. Uh, he opens with the prophecy, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now Jews put a lot of emphasis in genealogies. They were very, very proud of their lineage. And uh, that's the reason why Matthew opens with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to notice that every step along the way he's going to say, this was done to fulfill this prophecy. This was done to fulfill this prophecy. Okay, and then in chapter number 2 we're told about the visit of the Magi. Now, before I get into that, uh, again, I'm just going to kind of give you an overview of the Gospels. I want to show you how the book of Luke opens. Flip over to the book of Luke, chapter number 1. Now, keep your finger in the book of Matthew, chapter number 2, because we're going to get back to that here in just a moment. But let's go now over to the book of Luke. Now, Luke has a totally, completely different audience. Luke is a Gentile. Now, Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, but Luke was a Gentile, and Luke was a man that traveled with Paul, and, uh, and, and Luke, as a Gentile, uh, has to kind of get his, his sources from eyewitnesses, and so that's exactly what he does. Luke is a physician, but he's also a brilliant writer. Uh, I mentioned this in, in one of our first lessons. I believe, I believe it was in the very first lesson. The fact that when somebody's learning New Testament Greek, uh, they first take them to the book of Mark because it's a very simple form of Greek. Uh, from the book of Mark, they go to some of the other books. And then uh, after a while, they graduate to the Pauline epistles, more educated Greek. And then finally, they learn the book of Luke because it is the most educated form of Greek. So Luke was a very, very brilliant man, an awesome writer. And uh, Luke is a physician is used to recording meticulous details. And so Luke records a lot of uh, details that are not recorded in some of the other Gospels. Uh, Luke is pulling from multiple sources. You see, Matthew was an eyewitness himself, okay? Uh, so he gives uh, his own eyewitness testimony. Mark took his account, most scholars believe, from uh, Peter, who was also obviously an eyewitness. And so there's some things mentioned in Mark uh, that are not mentioned in Matthew, but Mark kind of gives a brief overview and uh, of the life of Jesus. It does not go into the birth of Jesus. It begins with the ministry of John the Baptist and then goes into the ministry of Jesus and ultimately ends with Jesus' death and uh, kind of has an abrupt ending to it, whereas Luke goes through uh, details and he gives meticulous details and he talks about uh, Jesus more extensively than the other Gospels. And then John, who was also an eyewitness, comes along. It's believed that John was written last. And John comes along after the others, it's believed. Uh, again, I'm just kind of giving you what's common, commonly believed here. Uh, and John comes along, and uh, he writes to a totally different audience, but he kind of fills in some of the blanks. That's why he doesn't record a lot of the same things as the other Gospels. But, uh, but John does give... Uh, the, the theme of Jesus as the Christ and also as Lord and as God. And uh, there's a reason why he was doing that, because people are already trying to turn him into just a man. Okay, so now that I've established that, kind of giving you a brief overview of some of those, notice the way that the book of Luke opens. Again, remember, Luke is a Gentile. Watch this, chapter 1, verse number 1. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely uh, believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also... 
So this tells us his was not the first written. There had been others written before. And he did say many. Uh, obviously, not all of them survived, but we have four. And, I, and obviously, that's by divine inspiration. God wanted us to have the four that we have. It said, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. Now, his target audience is a man uh, by the name of Theophilus. And uh, this is uh, quite interesting to us today uh, because Theophilus is also the, uh, the man that he wrote the book of Acts to because Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. And so his target audience is a man by the name of Theophilus. Once again, a Gentile, not a Jew. So he writes, this is a Gentile writing to a Gentile and also to, you know, to Gentiles as a target audience. And so, uh, notice this. It says this, uh, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So obviously, Theophilus is a man that is a recent convert. And uh, Luke is telling him, I want you to be confident in the faith that you have, Theophilus. And so, this is the reason why I've gone back to eyewitnesses and I have uh, am writing my own report so that you can know of a surety that what you believed in is valid. It's true. Okay, and then it says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both now were well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course... Now, there's several things to point out here. Notice, he's just going and doing what he's supposed to do. He's just being consistent. There's power in consistency. Verse 9, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. It was just his lot. It was just his turn to go in and burn incense before the Lord. So he probably went in with just an expectation. It's just going to be like any other day. And can I tell you that there's power in consistency? Uh, you just keep going to church. You just keep being faithful to God. One day could be the day you finally get your answer. And his wife, Elizabeth, has been barren all of these years, and it seems as if God has never heard his prayer. But one day when he's just going in and doing what he's supposed to do, God appears to him. Okay, and it says this, And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. Why? They were praying for him. Uh, Lord, help him to do it right. God, help him to, to, uh, to get approval from you. Help him to do everything just right, just like he's supposed to do it. They're praying for him, and they're waiting with expectation for him to come out and say, Done. It was all done right, and, and uh, God accepted it, and everything went well. Um, can I just say this? It's a good idea for those of you uh, that, go to, that go to church, and you should. Uh, you need a man of God in your life. You need a church structure in your life. Uh, but it's a good idea to pray for the service ahead of time and say, God, touch my pastor. Help him to deliver the word of the Lord correctly. Help him to preach it right. Uh, help me to receive what's preached. Get your spirit right and ready for the preached word of God. And so they're praying for Zacharias. Lord, help him, help him. And it says, And there appeared unto him the angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. That's why it's believed that John the Baptist was a Nazarite, and had taken the Nazarite vow. Because notice it says he can't drink wine nor strong drink. Uh, 
uh, he's dedicated even from his mother's womb. It says, And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. All right, now, let, let me back up here. Go back to the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. We're going to find out uh, why this would have been important for him to mention that he would come in the spirit and power of Elias. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Again, book right before the book of Matthew. Last Old Testament prophet. All right, not just in the Bible, but also in chronological order as well, in time. Uh, and it says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, uh, I understand there's multiple fulfillments, but remember, it's just like uh, other prophecies, the valley of dry bones, the abomination of desolation. Uh, there's multiple fulfillments. Just because it was fulfilled at one point in history or will be fulfilled a future fulfillment doesn't mean it can't have multiple fulfillments. Prophecy lives on. Hebrews uh, 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and that means living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of son of soul and spirit and the joints of the marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So it's living and active. That's what that means. Uh, quick and powerful is living and active. So it lives on. It can be living. It can have multiple fulfillments. Okay. And then it says this. Uh, remember it says that John the Baptist would come in the spirit and power of Elias. He would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. All right. Stop. Why would this be significant? Okay, if you back up to the book of Daniel, you'll find that Gabriel had appeared also to Daniel. Uh, Gabriel appears to Daniel, and uh, I don't have the exact chapter in front of me, but uh, in the book of Daniel, the angel Gabriel appears to him, and so obviously Zacharias had read about, uh, about Daniel and about the angel of the Lord appearing before Daniel, and so, uh, this would have come as a total shock, and you can only imagine uh, how he must have felt at this moment to think that, that Daniel, uh, I mean, excuse me, that Gabriel would come and appear before him. Uh, let's go back and read this. I believe it's Daniel chapter 8 and verse number 16. Let's look, Daniel 8 and verse number 16. Uh, yes, and it says, Then I heard a man's voice between the banks of Ulal and called and said, Gabriel. Make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. All right. So Gabriel had appeared to Daniel, so you can only imagine what Zacharias felt like at this moment. In fact, one translation says, I am Gabriel! Exclamation mark. It says, I stand in the presence of the Lord. So you can only imagine how Zacharias trembled within himself when he heard the words of the angel. And it says, And am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad thing, tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias, 
Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Now remember, it's been prophesied in the book of Malachi that somebody's going to go before the Lord uh, to prepare the way before he suddenly comes to his temple. Okay, so uh, that's the reason why Luke focuses first on the birth of John the Baptist before he actually gets into the birth of Jesus, because John's going to prepare the way for Jesus. All right, now, I'm not going to be able to do too much more uh, in this particular lesson, because we're already over time, Uh, but let me show you that he focuses on that, and then he goes into the birth of Jesus, and you can read that, verse number 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came and unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. There it is again. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing that shall be born in thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. All right, let's go ahead and do a little bit more reading before I close this lesson out. It says, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. For whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. All right, and then Mary goes on to praise the Lord. And then in verse number 57, we have uh, Elizabeth bearing a child, and they argue back and forth about what shall its name be. Remember that Zacharias couldn't speak at this point, and so the uh, mother, Elizabeth, kept trying to say, no, his name's John. The angel told me to name him John. They said, no, there's nobody in your family with this name. No, no, call him after his father. Call him Zacharias after his father. But when they finally turned to Zacharias, he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And when he wrote that down, his mouth is open, and he begins to prophesy and speak many beautiful things. Then in chapter number 2 is recorded uh, the birth of Jesus. 
and that goes more specifically into his birth. Uh, and we have in this that uh, in chapter 2, verse number 1, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judah, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Okay, and in this context, I'm going to go ahead and stop here because in the next lesson, I want to talk about the visit of the Magi. Why is that significant? I'm going to go into detail in that. I'm also going to talk about the adoration of the shepherds. I'm going to talk about the prophecy of Simeon. So we're going to get into those things in the next lesson. Once again, we're not doing an exhaustive study, but uh, we are just kind of giving a brief overview of the life of Jesus. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word and truth. We thank you for this beautiful gospel. Thank you for coming to earth and dwelling among us. Thank you for coming meek and lowly and identifying with our suffering. I'm so thankful that I have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but you were tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Thank you, Jesus. And I give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, touch the ears of every hearer, Lord. Help them, Jesus, I pray, to understand the Word of God like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this Bible 101 episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you think. Also email BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That is B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E 29 at gmail.com to leave us comments, questions, or maybe ideas for future episodes. Thank you so much for listening.